we um, have Miss Versi with us tonight on FaceTime over here, and so um, I just got my little pep talk, and <laughs> she is um, praying for us. Um, she had a really rough day um, today, but she said that the Lord has enabled her to feel better at the moment and have the strength to be able to join us tonight uh, by FaceTime. So um, I think that Tara put her on mute, which I was pretty brave. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, obviously, if she has anything to contribute, she's going to jump right in, and um, we're very thankful. Um, I did get to meet with her last week, and we've gotten to correspond over the course of this past month in preparation for tonight. And so um, I just want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to um, stand here. I want you to know I don't take it lightly. I also know it is not a coincidence that last month we had a fried chicken dinner and a lesson on fasting. And tonight, um, in the midst of this really just undesired and difficult transition in our ministry, um, our lesson is on anxiety. <laughs> so <laughs> I know personally that um, none of that is a coincidence, and I promise you, in so many ways, um, the Lord is just using this to teach me, and um, I've just, first and foremost, and I think the best way to get my attention is, you know, to, to make me have to teach this, <laughs> so, so here I am um, learning along with you um, every single step of the way, so in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at yet more ways that we are really good at making much of ourselves and making little of the Lord. And so last month we studied how even in our acts of righteousness, the ways that we relate to the Lord, um, giving and fasting and praying, even in those things, we can and are still prone to elevate ourselves above God aren't we? And so in this section tonight, verses 19 through 34, we'll shift to see how uh, we relate to earthly matters and the world around us. And guess what? We're going to see the same trends, aren't we? And that's why our Lord is so faithful to teach this directly. So Jesus contradicts two different ideas as we move through each of the topics in the first section of this sermon. So we examine our possessions, our desires, and our loyalties. And then Jesus ties all of these issues together in a great big bow um, on the topic of anxiety. And yes, if you're anything like me at all, get ready for some major conviction. Because Jesus is going to cut directly to the heart of the matter, just as we've become accustomed to him doing throughout this sermon, right? The first three verses, we'll start there. These speak to our possessions and where we make our investments on earth or in heaven. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, starting there in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we all are pretty familiar with that line, right? You see it in Hobby, in Hobby Lobby, on signs here and there. But once again here, really, Jesus is placing the emphasis on our heart as our source of motivation and the seat of where we make our decisions. So for citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which we are as believers, we shouldn't bother to hoard things on earth, right? We know that there's nothing here on earth 
that's going to last. And so instead, Jesus is giving us a better way. He's giving us a way to store up our treasures in heaven instead. Um, I know I was just thinking as I was writing about this that we all have those little things that we like to hoard, right? We, do you all have your little your little things, or if you don't, then maybe your spouse does, or somebody in your house. Yes, now Susie's like, oh, yes, yes. Um, I don't know, I was thinking about my Granny Fisher. She used to save all the bread ties off all the bread bags, and when she passed away, I remember cleaning out her house, there was an entire drawer full of bread ties. I just thought, what in the world? Do y'all all have those little things? Who has a really good, has a really good hoarding example? Janet, I know you do. <laughs> okay, books. Oh, that's, I mean, that's valuable. But <laughs> no. what you got? And she probably thought to herself, that's exactly why I saved all those strings, all those years, right? She was so proud of herself for saving those things. I know she was in that moment. Tara? So we know who to call if we need a, if we're having a party. <laughs> Katie, coat tabs. And so what's so funny is obviously we talk about, you know, when we pass away, these are the things that people find, right, that we've left behind that they think, what in the world? We know when we're collecting these things, saving these, we know that it's not going to last, right? But we still have a tendency to do that. Um, and the, di- the difficulty that we have is that we have trouble focusing on eternal things because we live here, right? We live in this temporary world and temporary body. And so our hearts are just naturally prone to go towards things that are present, things that are seen, things that we can touch and save and keep and buy. And so we're naturally inclined to put down our roots here on earth and if you know, um, if you've known Adam and I for long, you know we, well, not really we. I I like to move. I do. I like to move, and so we now laugh. We have a joke that um, you know people will say things like, "Oh, this is going to be our forever home," and so we've said that like over and over and over and over because <laughs> we've moved so many times, and so now it really is just a joke. Like, oh, this is our forever home, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Really, though, it's a joke for us, but it really is a joke for all of us, isn't it? Because no place here really is our forever home, um, even if you've lived in the same place all your life. And I think that's so cool. You know, I admire those families where there's a home place and the, the parents and the grandparents and everybody has lived there on the same property or the same home and they pass it on. But really, no matter how long that legacy of that house has survived, no home here is our forever home. We will spend eternity in our forever home, which is heaven. And that's hard for us to grasp because our true home is a place we've never been. And so it's a paradox. But it really is the way that we need to think and live. We need to live in light of eternity. So in Colossians 3, We're told, um, set your mind on things where? Above. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, set your mind on heaven. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we're told, he has made everything beautiful in, in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So even though we don't see the things of eternity around us, he's placed eternity in our hearts, right? And our eternal home is not the things that we see around us. It's our home in heaven. So what then do we do with this eternal heart perspective that he's given us that we should, we should use as we live? We must remember that there really is only one thing around us that will last, and that is what? Our souls. Our souls and the souls of those around us. So therefore, our investments here on earth should be centered on what? Souls, right? 
In his book, The Treasure Principle, um, Randy Alcorn, usually we have copies of this book in the book, Nick, but um, he, Randy Alcorn says, every time we give of ourselves to other people in the name of Christ and for the glory of God, we are investing treasure in heaven. So if you're thinking, well, how do I invest treasure in heaven? How do I set my mind on things above? Jen Wilkins says it in this way, we should build character, not castles. So when we are giving and doing and loving and praying and serving and witnessing in the name of Christ for the glory of God, that's how we're investing in the souls of those around us and investing in heaven. So you see, the heart is the seat of the will. So when our heart is fixated on everything we see, around us and on making this life the most comfortable place it can be, then our decisions will be based on making the most of our life here. When we put our focus on what Jesus contrasts here, then we invest in relationships instead. People are the only thing with eternal significance that we will encounter here on earth. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? Of all the things that surround us each day. The only thing of eternal value is, um, are the people who are around us, the souls of the people around us. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says, no matter what it is or how small it is, if it is everything to you, that is your treasure. That is the thing for which you are living. This is the danger against which our Lord is warning us at this particular point. If we have a right view of ourselves in this world as pilgrims, as children of God going to our Father, then everything falls into its true perspective. So to keep this right perspective, Lloyd-Jones explains that we must constantly remind ourselves, I am a child of the Father, placed here for His purpose not for myself. I did not choose to come. I have not brought myself here. There is a purpose in it all. I thought that was really powerful, if that is our perspective. So if you haven't completed um, your study of this section of scripture in our, in our workbook, I do want to encourage you to do that because there are some really great reflection questions that will kind of help you maybe pinpoint and think through, you know, what is my treasure? Where am I investing my time and energy and my effort and um, kind of help you to do some self-reflection and pinpoint some of those areas. So I want to encourage you to to work through that. The next contrast that Jesus sets up in this section is regarding good eyes and bad eyes and what we take in through our eyes. So again, Jesus is warning against having eyes that are pulled downward, right? Having eyes that are pulled toward the things of the world rather than towards the things of heaven. So he says in verses 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So this is a little bit more metaphorical, right? Is it a little, just kind of a little bit more confusing? But really it's the same principle, okay? This section of this sermon um, we see that just like we're talking about where we fix our focus and our investments, is it on the things around us, this temporary world? In this section, it point, we point, we're pointed out that we have a lot of opportunities to indulge in the eye candy around us, don't we? And for all of us, you know, that might take a different form. That might be something different. But yet those opportunities are limitless, aren't they? And so when we indulge into that cycle of setting our eyes on the things of the world, setting our eyes on um, the things that are temporary, that are sinful, even sometimes we fall into that same cycle, that sin cycle that our mother Eve first succumbed to, don't we? When we think about that, the cycle unfolds this way. So Eve saw the fruit 
right? She saw it with her eyes. She saw it and then she desired it, right? Then she took it. Then she ate it. And thus, sin spread. And that cycle we see repeated throughout Scripture over and over, right? We could just name example after example. Achan, the Israelites, King David. It's the same cycle that we see in our own lives. I see it. I want it. I take it. I spread the consequences. The book of James also outlines this same cycle of temptation and sin and its outcome. So in James 1.14, we see that sin begins with the evil desire, the bad eye that we're reading about here in Matthew. And then in verse 15, we see that evil desire conceives, sin is born, sin grows, and then sin produces death. And many times this process is ignited by that spark of, it doesn't hurt to look, right? And then what satisfies me temporarily becomes more important than the consequences of the sin that I'll be dealing with down the road, right? We've all, we've we've seen that pattern repeated in scripture and in our own lives. And a lot of times those consequences of that sin are inevitable, because of that sin. So the eyes are the lamp of the body. It becomes what they behold. So may we turn our eyes upon Jesus, right? It's the same principle, the same contradiction of rather than focusing on these desires around us that lead to that sin, lead to those consequences, we focus on Jesus, we focus on the eternal things of his word and um, of him, then what does the next line of that song say? When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, what happens to the things of the earth? They grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glorious glory and grace. And um, I think that song is a perfect example of, um, you know, just the really perfect words to illustrate exactly what that scripture says. Again, it's about our heart and where we're choosing to focus. It's very easy um, to focus on the things around us and getting caught up in the temptations that, that are so easily accessible to us when we see, see those things and want those things, desire those things. So this leads us then to the third contrast that Jesus presents in this section which is having two masters. So in verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And here, this idea of loving money, it isn't about being rich. It's about loving ourselves. It's really what it's about. Jesus is referring to a master and a slave. So in other words, we can't be slave to two things, right? Jesus wants us to acknowledge here that we are slaves to God. He just taught us to pray earlier in this section, in this sermon, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Not my will be done, not my kingdom come, thy will be done. He's reiterating here, this is not about us. We are slaves to the Lord. We are in submission to his will for our life and his sovereignty. And again, he's pointing out here, our loyalty can't be divided. He wants us to give our full allegiance to God. So do you see in each of those different examples, those contrasts that he sets up, Two treasures, two eyes, two masters, and then we come to this big important word in verse 25, which indicates to us that he's about to bring it all home, right? What is that word in verse 25? What does verse 25 start with? Therefore, so this is where we do the, you know, little finger tap drum roll, therefore, In light of all of these things, 
based on these contrasts, don't be anxious. So let's read together starting in verse 25. And we'll spend a little bit more time here. Starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So if we choose the wrong treasure, the wrong eye, the wrong master, what will be the outcome? Anxiety. Over 40 million Americans have some form of diagnosed anxiety. And women are twice as likely to be diagnosed as men. In the workplace, people are stressed out. Like 40% of people say they have high anxiety at work. Probably most alarming was reading that 50% or more of college students go to professional counselors to seek help specifically for anxiety issues. And about 30% of people say they're facing some kind of a chronic battle with anxiety. So I definitely don't think we can pretend like this isn't applicable, right? Um, you know, there are a lot of different directions that this lesson could go. Again, I want to encourage you to go to read through the study and really work through that. If anxiety is not something that you have ever dealt with, I mean, I'm surprised, but also I think you will, right, at some point. It's something that um, has always been common to man. We know no temptation is not common to man. I mean, it's something that even more recently has seemed to become more and more um, you know, almost even trendy per se in that it's a, um, something we're much more accustomed to talking about. I think our, our young people are much more accustomed to talking about, hearing about. Um, so we, in that, in that um, comfort that we have, um, it does seem to be more prevalent, whether it's just that we're talking about it more or whether it actually is more of a a problem now than it used to be, I'm not sure. But nonetheless, um, it's something that we spend a lot of time in, in biblical, biblical counseling, um, you know, working through. And it's not something that, you know, we're going to completely unpack in a 15-minute Bible study. Um, but there are some really important truths about God that we can stand firm on and that we can address and we can proclaim together. And then there also are some very practical things that we can talk about as well. Again, is it going to be, um, you know, we're, we're just going to have all the answers to all of, you know, every single issue dealing with anxiety here tonight in one lesson? No, Versi probably could have made that happen for y'all, but I don't think that I, I don't think that I can. Um, but we are going to park here for just a few minutes and break this down a little bit, okay? Um, anxiety 
and a heightened sense of awareness that comes from like our sense of nervousness and being aware of what's happening around us are God-given emotions. True? Right? God created us to be emotional and emotionally aware beings. So like if a grizzly bear came barging into this door while we're enjoying our salad tonight, I think that God would intend us to be a little anxious about that, right? We would have certain natural protective factors that he has designed um, for us to become alerted. And we would probably use that term as anxious. We would describe that as we should. True, that would be appropriate. Or I have to say the anxiety that I feel when I'm high in the air or um, on a bridge or on a plane or on a ladder even for that. I, I feel like it's God's way of telling me to get my feet back on the ground where I belong. <laughs> like there are certain things, right, that are God-given emotions that we are supposed to feel. All anxiety, something that God gives us, is not a bad thing, right? Really, though, even Jesus, if we think about it, experienced anxiety, great anxiety, anxiety beyond what any of us in this room have ever experienced, overwhelming anxiety, unspeakable to the point of sweat drops of blood going to the cross. That was that was anxiety for what lied ahead, what he knew he was going to be facing. So it's not necessarily a feeling of anxiety that's a sin. And yet, we're commanded multiple times in Scripture, in Philippians 4, in Luke 12, and here in Matthew, we're commanded, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Well, have any of you ever woken up in the middle of the night in a, with a panic attack? Yeah. Um, you know, I've experienced two major episodes that I would describe as a panic attack. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, they weren't like scientifically diagnosed, but um, in the, the weeks following the loss of our twin boys, I had a couple of moments where I literally felt like a wave knocked me off my feet. I could not stand up. I could not breathe. I could not, um, I couldn't function at all and wanted to just be completely numb and stay there forever. And at one point had to leave the building just because I physically could not catch my breath. And I know that you, many of you have felt those same emotions, and much, much more, much, much more in the face of tremendous loss and just overwhelming grief that, that some of you have experienced and trauma and tragedy. And, um, you know, in those moments, I don't know about you, but it feels very unlike anything you can actually control, Right? So I kind of had to really think a lot about if this is something that we're commanded not to feel, and yet you can wake up with this feeling. You can literally be knocked off your feet with this feeling out of nowhere. It's not a choice, right? You don't choose in those moments of despair and grief to feel that way, that Grief is also an emotion that comes from the Lord, right? We, we've experienced these things when we're dealing with trauma and when we're dealing, processing different things that we're having to deal with in our life. So then where, where do we reconcile that emotion and that sense of this feels so overwhelming, how do I control it with the word of God that commands us do not be anxious. Does anybody else get stuck there? Okay, good. <laughs> good. It's not just me. Um, I would say in those moments, you know, like that, the commandments of do not murder, do not lie, do not, like that seems much more feasible than <laughs> do not be anxious, right? 
And I would love to not have to deal with these feelings. Um, and it, it, is, it does feel completely out of my control, but, but how do I do that? How do I not be anxious? I do want to stop real quick and say I also don't want to discount that sometimes anxiety and even depression um, are brought on by legitimate medical imbalances and issues and um, concerns. And so I, I definitely want to mention that it is not always sin-induced, and right? So let's also mention that. But here's the deal. While there are some aspects of anxiety that appear and feel to be out of my control, the choices that I make in the midst of that that help me regain control over my mind and my thoughts are what matters. When I am anxious, I am responsible to make choices in regards to getting free from it. And when we worry, when we, which is really dwelling on that anxiety, and we allow ourselves to sink into a pattern of fretting and worry and anxiety, really what we're doing is trying to control things, right? We're trying to control circumstances that are not in our control. Worry is not a virtue that means that we care. And I think sometimes, especially in the South, you know, we kind of attribute that. I'm just so worried about you. And that makes me feel so loved, you know, <laughs> that you are. <laughs> but really, it's, a, it really, and I know we, meet, we say that as a, a um, response of love, but truly, it's a lack of reliance on God. And um, the, Janet Milan wrote a book. Listen to the title of it. I love this book, the title. It says, Arrows Make Terrible Crowns, How the Holy Spirit Healed My View of Motherhood. <laughs> so I just think that's the creative title. But she says, anxiety is imagining a future that is absent of God's grace and love. And that is really what we're doing when we're sinking into that spiral, when we're allowing those waves to continue to come over us over and over and over without claiming God's truth. So here in this sermon on the mount this sermon on the mount, the anxiety that Jesus is commanding that we fight against is worry that is revealed as a work of faithlessness. It's when we believe that God is not who he says he is, that his grace is not sufficient in our weakness, and that he doesn't know what's best for us, or how to supply our needs. I know that consciously, we may not be thinking all of those things, but again, when we allow ourselves to continue to worry and be anxious about the things that are overcoming us in those moments, that is actually what we're choosing to believe. In Lamentations 3, which is this one of my um, most favorite portions of scripture, but we read the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Do you know why his mercies are new every morning? Because we need them every morning. Every morning, every single day. And because also, just like the Israelites were provided enough manna for each day, one day at a time, we are also provided with enough manna, enough grace, enough mercy for this day, for this moment, for this need, this Whatever it is that is directly in front of me at this very moment, that is what I'm equipped for. And if this thing that I'm imagining might happen, if it happens tomorrow, then guess what? Yeah. 
then I'll have enough grace to deal with it in that day, in that moment, for that task. Many times, though, we collect worry, right? Just like the Israelites, what do they try to do with that manna? Save it up. We're going to save this up. What if we don't have food for tomorrow? We got their little mason jars out and filled it up and did whatever. What does you do with the canning? That, that canning thing? <laughs> and what happened to it? Yeah, it's spoiled. I said, no. You're going to have to trust me again tomorrow. My mercy will be there for you again tomorrow. And you're going to have to trust your tomorrow with me that I'm going to provide what you need when that time comes. We worry and fret over things that we can't control because in reality, we want to be in control. I'm, don't say anything, mom, but I'm a little, I'm a little um, guilty of that a lot. And also, <laughs> also, um, you know, we do, we, we seek that and we want, we want God to be our Santa Claus. Right? We want to say, this is how I would like for my life to play out. This is what I would like to happen tomorrow, and I would like for you to make it all happen that way. When we go back to the beginning of this portion of Scripture. That is not at all what, uh, God is te- what Jesus is teaching here, is it? It's not at all the way that God intends for us to depend on his sovereignty. So many times we are also tempted to allow ourselves to think in worst case scenarios, right? Okay, if that happened, then what are, what are we saying to ourselves? We're saying, if that thing happened, that worst case scenario that I can possibly imagine, then God would just abandon me? He wouldn't be there for me? He wouldn't help me go through that hard time? I mean, many of you have been in that very place. You have faced your very worst nightmare, the worst thing you could possibly imagine. And we have women in our church walking through that right now, today, in this moment. Their worst possible knock you off your feet that you can ever even fathom. Has God abandoned them? Absolutely not. In fact, just the opposite, right? It's been just the opposite. It's not what his word says. It says his mercies are new every single morning. It says that he's going to provide for assistance. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. These are promises of God. The word does not say that if something bad happens, he's not going to be there for you. In fact, it says that his grace is sufficient for us and he will be there for us. And so when we see ourselves or we see our sisters, y'all, sometimes when you're in the spiral, you don't see it, right? Sometimes we need our sisters in Christ to also reach out and say, I see you spiraling. <laughs> I, I see that you, this pattern that you're stuck in. I see this wave has knocked you down and you haven't been able to get back on your feet. That's where we have to stop. And maybe it's reach out to our sister in Christ or our, stop ourselves and focus on God's sufficiency. God is our helper no matter what we face. In life, And so just kind of on a practical note, in those moments that I know, I know you all, I mean, every single face that I look at, you've, you've experienced these things. What are some of those practical, and I know you've probably read some in your study this week, but what are some of those practical go-to scriptures that you can use, that you depend on, when you're in that moment, or maybe that you use to share out to other people when you see them in that spiral. What are some of those practical ways that we can help one another? 
and it really is about in those moments and recognizing that that's where we are. And when we can't recognize it in our, for ourselves, recognizing it for someone else and being able to sh share with them. Um, and also, obviously, praying, right? Our prayer for one another, um, encouragement in that way. So many. There really are so many. I love that so many of you have those committed to memory that you can continually cling to. I've also, Isaiah 40 went in, Job 1.21, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, and then, you know, Philippians 4.8, which tells us what we should be thinking about rather than um, necessarily our circumstances or the things that we're worrying about. So, um, you know, I think another practical, as far as we're kind of talking about just some practical ways to combat anxiety and th that spiral, um, thinking about how we can help others as well. So actually this week, Miss um, Elaine came in and she was not having a great moment and she came in and this is what she said, but she didn't know I was going to use it. I didn't know I was going to use it till uh, yesterday, but she said, um, <sighs> I'm just not having a good morning. How can I help you? Maybe if I just stop thinking about what's going on with me, what's going on with you? How can I help you? And I thought, you know, that is so practical, you know, and, um, and, and she did. She helped me. So <laughs> it was great. But really, truly, also sometimes our anxiety is somewhat because we are centered and focused on what's going on with us. And we don't, that's, that's not the example that Jesus set for us, is it? No, it's not. So I think about even Paul's uh, letters from prison and really the whole entire book of Philippians and others that he wrote to just as he is literally bound in chains, what is he doing? Worrying about, am I going to get out of here? Am I going to die? Am I going to eat today? No, he's encouraging others, isn't he? So I think our example is that we're not to be completely dwelling on ourselves and our own problems and circumstances, but looking for those opportunities. How can we serve others and um, take that focus off of ourselves? So some really just very, I mean, that's pr very practical, right? Um, those are, it's basic, but um, many times instead of going to the Word of God or a Christian friend who will point us to God's word, or going to God in prayer, or doing the hard work of obedience in the way that God outlines for us, sometimes we do decide to instead take the easy way out. And sometimes we really just want a quick fix. And sometimes that is in the form of appeal or in the form of a distraction. And sometimes um, we can distract ourselves or mask the problem and the symptoms of the problem to the point that we're really not dealing with the root issue of the problem. And so I do want to caution us against, you know, self-medicating or distracting ourselves continually to the point that we become comfortable living in a pattern of sinful anxiety and worry, because that will trick us into believing that the cares of this life really are more than we can depend on God to sustain us through for our good and for his glory. It really is our relationship with the Lord that will enable us to, to endure. So, just like um, it was Marcia that just mentioned, you know, we don't have to wonder. Let me just take the mystery out of all of this. We don't have to wonder about whether or not we're going to have trouble, right? We will have trouble. In fact, verse 34 ends with what word? What's the word that it ends with? The very last word is trouble because it's understood. There will be trouble. I found this quote from author, author Pink to be very impactful. He said, how should we rely upon the mercy of God in the hour of death if we are unable to place our trust in him for life? We are believers, right? Which means we're trusting in Jesus for our salvation. We're trusting him with our eternity with our soul 
Sisters, God already knew what was going to happen to us in our lives in eternity past. He already knew. We don't know minute to minute, do we? And many of us are now in circumstances that we could never have imagined a year ago. And in our anxiousness, we want desperately to know the future. We want to know what will happen next. Will this be okay? Will I be okay? How will this turn out? And yet, really, we should be so thankful that we don't know what tomorrow holds because we haven't been given the the grace to deal with that yet. We are finite, and we must trust and completely depend on the God who sees all and who holds our future. We are here today and gone tomorrow like the grass that withers and fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, I do want to mention, too, that um, in talking with Versi to prepare for this lesson, she said it this way. So, yes, I'm going to quote Versi McMullen. She said, every day is a new day, and we have to choose to trust God all over again each day. She said, every morning I wake up, I could choose to dwell anxiously on, why me, God? We have to renew our focus every single day so we don't sink back down into anxiety and depression. She also reminded me of an example that's um, used in the biblical counseling ministry. And it's a woman who is too nervous to go over a high bridge in her town. She spends her entire life in this town. She grows up in this town. And the entire time she's there, she does everything she can to avoid this going over this bridge. She goes around, she goes the long way, anything she can do to avoid it. She hates going over this bridge. It's a major source of anxiety for her. One day, though, she gets a phone call, and it is a nurse at the hospital across town who tells her that her son is on that side of town, and he's been involved in a terrible car accident, and she needs to get to the hospital immediately. What does she do? She gets in her car and she drives straight over the bridge because that's the fastest way to get to her son. Does she think twice? Does she even hit her brake? Does she even ride in the middle? (laughs) From experience? No. She doesn't. She gets in that car and she drives straight over the bridge and she never thinks twice about it. Why? Because love is greater than fear, isn't it? 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The things that we think that we just could possibly not do, really, we can, can't we? Really, we can, with the help of the Lord. And yet, sometimes we think we're entitled to worry Sometimes we even treasure up those anxieties and we, we become anxious dwelling on our anxiety. <laughs> Does anybody ever been there? Like we're so anxious about the fact that we're anxious that then we just are this huge ball of walking anxiety and we really don't even know why. But yet, I think that's just a perfect example to prove that really we, we can move through those things that we think that we are unable to do, and the Lord will be with us. So Christ commands us here three times in Matthew alone. Matthew 10, 26, if you want to go back, it's Matthew 10, 26, 10, 28, and 31. He says, do not fear. Do not fear What anxieties have you treasured? We need to repent in some of these areas because some of the circumstances that we're in as well are results of the sin that we've committed or that others around us have committed. True, 
it's, there's trouble, there's sin. Just like in the beginning, we see it, we take it, we desire it, we, can, we sin, and then we say we'll deal with the consequences later. Sometimes our circumstances are because of the circumstances we've created due to our sin. Sometimes they're not. Either way, we need to repent of the anxiety that we're experiencing in those areas and take courage as we grapple with finding what that root is. Is the root a sin issue? Is it a fear issue? Is it a trust issue? Am I not depending on the sovereignty of God? Is it just a practical, I need help. I need to post those scriptures on my wall, right? Like, I need a friend to text me and encourage me, which means I have to reach out first and let a friend know I'm struggling with this. Maybe it's a practical thing, but we need to ask the Lord to help us see that he is sufficient and proclaim with this, as the psalmist does in Psalm 118.6, the Lord is my helper, so I will not be afraid. Where are the ways that we are continuing to make much of ourselves? Is it our treasures? Is it our desires? Is it our loyalties? Are these uncalibrated, off-center, out-of-focus areas causing us to lose sight of our purpose and our Father's ability to perfectly meet our needs? Let's get our priorities straight, ladies, and put his kingdom first in our lives and pursue a path of peace that can only come from trusting in Jesus Christ for our salvation and for our daily sustenance because the Lord will enable us to do what he's called us to do. He will. Let's pray. Our most gracious and merciful Father, God, you are sovereign. God, you are sovereign over every circumstance in our life. You see all. You know all. Father, you've seen the things that we've walked through. You know what's coming around, and you promise to sustain us, even still. Father, you promise to provide for every need, every step of the way. Father, you promise to be faithful. God, I pray that you would help us to trust your faithfulness. God, we praise you and thank you for your sufficiency in all things in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the needs of those around us. Father, I pray that you would help us to repent where um, there are issues in our life that maybe there is a root of sin. God, help us to reach out, to, um, to pray, to seek counsel, biblical counsel, Lord, to help us to point each other towards you as the source of all of our strength. God, we pray tonight for those who are in the midst of, of facing nightmares, Father, who are suffering. God, we pray for Versi today, Father, that you would just, God, we thank you that she is able to just listen with us tonight. We thank you for all the ways that she has been um, your hands and your feet in this ministry. And Father, we pray that you would ease her suffering, Father. We pray for her family as they care for her and love her, God. Help them to remember that you will be their strength, Father, that you will provide the grace that they need every step of the way. Father, I pray for others who are hurting, Father, who have experienced loss. God, I pray for the Coleman's, Father, just another, just a worse nightmare, Lord, that yet we see you providing for, God. We see you sustaining Brianna and and her family, God. We see you. We've seen you in Scripture. Father, how dare we not trust you? Help us. Father, we are weak. Help us to depend on your grace and your sufficient strength for every moment of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
thank you all for being here tonight. Um, we will continue on our regular meeting schedule next month, so the second Tuesday of the month for the month of April and May. So I want to encourage you to continue um, in your study. And then I did want to mention as well, as I know um, you're probably starting to make your summer plans, the first Friday night in June, June 4th, is that correct? June 4th, I believe. I'm sorry, June 2nd. June 2nd, um, we are going to have our women's conference. We do that every year. We have an annual conference. Every other year, we bring in an outside speaker. Um, this year is not the year to bring in an outside speaker, so um, we will be reaching out. We have lots of opportunities to serve coming up in that conference, so if you'd like to help, be sure and let us know um, as we're planning for that. But the theme of our conference will be Heaven Rules, and um, we'll be studying and looking more in depth at the sovereignty of God. And so we're um, excited to be planning for that. And I just wanted you to put the date, save the date, and be looking forward to that. So thank you again to the ladies who helped decorate and cook tonight. So delicious. She's still there. We love you, Versi. You going to do a little piano? <laughs> here, wait, 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 here, here. I thank each one of you for uh, the being so diligent in our women's ministry and um we're looking forward to june uh at our conference many conference coming up and i encourage each one of you to be a part of that in some way um i you know i'm just i woke up this morning and i didn't feel well and i but throughout the day i've had i had some you know uh, problems with nausea and, and being able to um stay balanced and those sort of things but you know I, I i wanted to be there with all of my heart tonight but god provided a way that i could and i love you all i've asked that you continue to pray for me as i travel this journey um god is as dana said has promised that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. And I'm trusting that be, that he will keep his promise to me. He has in three and a half years. He has been right there with me. And I know he's going to be with me as I continue this journey. Um, I just need your prayers uh, that I would uh, continue to stay focused on the Lord. Um, you know, I... I, you know, it's very, very easy at times when um, things aren't going so good and you're feeling bad and um, throwing up and all just, just to, to, you know, not to be as um, trusting. But I, I know, I know that God is, is my helper. He is my strength. He is my refuge. And um, he is that for all of us. And if you will just um, continue to pray, remember, I've been praying diligently this week for our little Kay. And, um, I know that, um, you know, God is with him as well. And uh, we all have issues. We all have problems. We all have things that we, we face that are difficult. But our strength comes from the Lord and comes from in and through our relationship with the Father. And... Um, I'm so thankful that I have that relationship. So, so thankful um, that I do. And, I, you know, I love you all. And I, I hopefully maybe next month I can be there. I don't know. I, 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 my cancer seems to be progressing. And so I don't know uh, what God has in store, but he does. He knows. And uh, if I am just uh, relying on him. She got me through it. And, um, okay. We love you. <laughs>
We love you, love you. <laughs> Thank you, Versi. Thank you, Versi. <laughs> All right. Thank y'all. Have a good night.